Hey, if you have a Bible, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 12. I want to start, um, I want to start a series of messages this week on the gifts of the Spirit. And I'm really, really excited about this. I've been waiting for a while to share these things with you. Some of the things I want to share with you, I've just been waiting um, for the Lord to, to say some things to me, to give me the right type of language to share these things. Um, I think one of the reasons that people steer so clear of spiritual gifts is because they don't seem to translate into everyday life. Um, they seem like they're, they're reserved for, you know, the church. And when you really look at Scripture, the spiritual gifts were not just intended to be a function that we, we do in the church house, but they were intended to be something that we use in our house and on our job. You know, and we're going to talk specifically about prophecy and how prophecy actually can translate to the gym. You know, it can translate to your job. And uh, I'm excited. I'm just really excited. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and uh, I'm going to start verse 1. It says this. Paul says this. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. You know, hang on, I want to change translations. I don't like this one that I'm reading out of. All right, I'm starting over. NIV. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagan, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another the interpretation of the tongues. All these are at work of one and the same Spirit. And He distributes them to each one just as He determines. And then Paul goes on to talk about the unity of the Spirit and the diversity of the body. He goes on to tell us that the, the gifts are like, if you look like a human, look at a human body, the gifts are like that. You, you need all of the different parts of the body for the body to function as a whole. So you can't say to your eyes, I don't need you. You can't say to your feet, I don't need you. In the same way that we can't say to one another that we don't need each other. A lot of people are like, all I need is Jesus. Well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you actually need a community of believers called the church, the body of Christ. Because without them, you are insufficient. You are not enough. You're like a single arm just out there hanging out. You're like the hand on the Adams family. And that's creepy. The church is not meant to be creepy. It's not meant to be weird. But we have, we have done things in such a way that have caused us to, to focus on certain things because of our embarrassment or shame or the abuse of certain things. And so we've gotten away, I think, even in charismatic Pentecostal churches, 
away from the gifts of the Spirit. And I understand why 1 Corinthians 13, Paul goes on after 1 Corinthians 12, and he says that, he says that really the main thing is not the gifts, the main thing is love. He's like, if I'm gifted but I don't have love, then I'm nothing. But, but I want to turn your attention to 1 Corinthians 14 because I think it really gives us the proper focus and place of the gifts. So I think because gifts have been done so wrong and people have emphasized gifts to the point where it's become the main thing, then we've, we've done this big swing back to, to love and the focus has been love and we've gotten away from the gifts. It's the same thing we do in elections. It's why, you know, we'll, we'll vote this way one election and then the country will swing another way in another direction. It's, and it, it has a hard time staying somewhere in the middle. The church is the same way. The church has a difficult time staying balanced in the word. Very often we swing to one side or the other. And yes, love is the primary thing. But Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, he says follow the way of love and eagerly desire. One translation says covet. That's a strong word. Covet the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. That's interesting, isn't it? Because the focus of many Pentecostal charismatic circles has not been prophecy, it's been tongues. But Paul says very clearly here that prophecy is the one that I'd really like for all of you to be able to do. The ability to prophesy is not reserved just for the person who sits in the office of a prophet. The ability to prophesy is something that Paul says, I, I, I'd love to see everybody in the church prophesy. As a matter of fact, he says, I, I wish that you would eagerly desire the gifts, especially prophecy. He says, he goes on to say, for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. You ever heard somebody say, you know, I, I was prophesying over somebody in tongues. Maybe you grew up in Pentecostal church. You don't prophesy over people in tongues. You prophesy people to people in the language that you speak. Tongues was never intended to be a means of prophecy. Every time you see tongues used, it's speaking directly to God, not to people. Okay, I'm going to help you. This is going to be, so we're going to take the next few weeks and we're going to dive in. We're not just going to talk about, about certain gifts and elevate others. We're going we're gonna to really get into this because I think that Calvary Church is destined to go to another level, not just in what we experience in this room, but what the community experiences because of what we have experienced in this room. Amen. So he says, one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries of the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people, watch this, for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. So what is the goal of prophecy? The goal of prophecy is to strengthen, encourage, and comfort the body. Amen. So Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. We ask over these next few moments we have together that you would speak clearly to us. Help us to see the power of the prophetic word of God. Help us to see how it doesn't just apply to our church services, but it applies to our everyday life. How we interact with the people we work with, how we interact with our wife, our children, our friends, and our family. It can change our lives, and we believe your word is true. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Let me tell you something. It's one thing to experience divine revelation. That's when God teaches you something. But it's another thing to experience divine impartation. That's when God gives you something. That's when God gives you a spiritual gift. A spiritual gift is just a special ability that God gives you to accomplish your assignment. 
See, in life you have natural gifts, things that you are able to do as a result of your DNA, your genetics, how you were created. And then you have acquired skills, things that you learn along the way, but you need more in life than your natural abilities and acquired skills. You need the gifts of the Spirit because God wants to give you more than talent. God wants to equip you for what he has assigned you to. And God will only help me be the person he has called me to be, not the person that I want to be. This is why it's extremely important to tell people where and how they make a difference in your life. I think some of our encouragement is so general, and general encouragement is nice, but it's not extremely helpful. I need you to tell me where I help you so I need so that I know where I should focus my attention. I, I, it's, it's even a, a, a principle in marriage. You know, you could have a, a wife who who is always got a dinner prepared when you get home and she's always got the house clean and 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 so when you get home and the dinner's there and the house is clean and you're grateful for that but that's not what you need maybe that's not what you're interested in maybe you could care less if it's a steak and if there's just a grilled cheese on the table you don't care about the meal it's it's interesting isn't it maybe maybe what 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 satisfies the needs of your spouse is not some, it's often not the thing you're doing. And you could be spending a lot of energy and effort doing something that doesn't even bring increase and joy into their life. <laughs> so you have to communicate to your spouse what they do that actually makes the difference for you. Or they'll be wasting their time doing all of this stuff and you'll be like, why don't they ever do the thing I want them to do when you've never told them the thing that they do that brings value and adds value to your life. This is why it's important for us to tell people, when you do this, it's different. It's like, it's like singing. I'm, I'm like with my brother. A lot of people sing. But when my brother sings, something different happens. Come on, somebody. A lot of people sing, but when these people on this stage, when they open up their mouth, there's something different. A lot of people have the natural ability to sing, but very few people have that spiritual gifting to sing. It's like, it's like in 1 Samuel 23, when, um, or 16, verse 23, when David, the Bible says, he's playing the harp before Saul, and the evil spirit would depart Saul's life. A lot of people could play the harp. But very few were like David who could push back the, the, come on, who could push back demonic spirits and push back the devil and cause that evil spirit that was attacking Saul's life to depart and give him some rest. There's just something different when you do it. And there is a gift that God has given you that helps you accomplish your assignment. And here's the thing about life. The fulfillment that we get out of life is not in the acquisition of things. The fulfillment that we get out of life is in the accomplishment of purpose. And we can only maximize the purpose that God has put in our life with our spiritual gift. It will not be maximized by our natural talent. It can only be maximized by the Spirit of God. That's why the Old Testament even says it's not going to be by might, it's not going to be by power, but it's going to be by my Spirit, says the Lord. Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, you will be endued with power from on high. The power to do, to say, and to be everything that I've called you to be. I love this because it's one thing to experience God teaching me something. It's another thing for God to impart into my life spiritual gifting. Uh, 
When you sing, it's different. When you lead something different, when you create something different. What I'm, in cha- what I'm challenging you to do is like we talked about with fruitfulness. I'm challenging you to live on an education. I'm challenging you not to live on the ev- level of your education, but revelation. I- I'm challenging you to not live, o- live on the level of your natural ability, but your supernatural ability. And these abilities are used to serve the body of Christ and bless the world. And I've told you already, you need the body of Christ to fulfill your purpose. I don't need anybody. Sounds good, doesn't work in the church. We are not codependent. We are not independent. We are interdependent. Do I need to go to church to be saved? No, but going to church enhances my salvation experience. Do I need to listen to music when I worship? No, but music can enhance, come on somebody, the experience of worship. And spiritual gifts come in different ways. They can be imparted to you by the laying on of hands. We see that through Paul's life. He said in Romans 1.11, he said, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. In 2 Timothy 1.6, he says to Timothy, he says, for this reason I remind you, fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. But it doesn't always require that. In Acts chapter 10, verse 44, Peter is just speaking the words of the Lord. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message and they started to speak with tongues. So he didn't even touch them. He was just talking and the Spirit of God hit their lives and they were given a gift from God. It's a powerful thing. The gifts of the Spirit are the movement and the animation and the expression of God. When you reject the gifts of the Spirit, you reject how God chooses to express himself to humanity. Listen to me. The way God answers most prayer is through the gifts of the Spirit. Remember, we read that list of them, the nine that are listed there in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul lists more in Romans chapter 12. He talks about others in Ephesians chapter 4. There are more than just these nine. But the way God answers most prayers is through the gifts of the Spirit. Remember, he, he said to one, word of wisdom. To another, a word of knowledge. See, you need the body of Christ because everything God wants to say to you, he doesn't say to you. <laughs> Every piece of wisdom that God has for you isn't going to come to you. It might come through someone else. And you can't hear what God has to say to you if you are not connected to the body of Christ. Amen. That's good news. That's good. Because that means what we're doing today, it's vital and it's important. That means crews are important. That means those small groups that we have, they're, they're important. It means those times when you gather together, when you have a meal, you have a, that's why the spiritual gifts, I want to talk to you about them because I want them to be able to translate to your conversation, to a meal, you know. It's not just, see, you see it sometimes in church and you see somebody get up and they use a microphone they say, thus says the Lord. That doesn't translate to a dinner. And so sometimes we, we don't use the spiritual gifts that God has given to us, not just because people have abused them, but because the only way we have seen them used, do, it doesn't translate to our life. All right. So for us to begin to use the gifts of the Spirit, first of all, we have to understand the gifts. So we're going to talk over the next few weeks about each gift and discuss how that translates to our, our life. Um, 
And if, we, if we've seen it done a certain way, it can hinder us because we assume that's the way it's always done. It's like every time I heard prophecy growing up, somebody was speaking King James Version. I'm like, that's not even how you talk, dude. I'm like, thus saith the Lord. You know, it's like that's, that, Paul didn't even say that. He <laughs> saith, you know, that's King James language. You don't speak King James, bro. just talk. God said. Okay, all right. <laughs> and sometimes you don't even always have to say God said or God told me. I was talking to someone recently, and God revealed something to me about uh, their mother. And I didn't say, you know, God told me this about your mom. I asked the question. I said, how's your mom? And they said, well, you know, they're not doing so good. They've just kind of been going through this. And I just said, well, I feel like the Lord has told me that God's going to move on your mom's behalf. It didn't have to be like, thus saith the Lord God of heaven and earth. You know, and everybody at Starbucks is like, what is happening right now? I get, I'm like, I need a microphone. So I go over to the, you know, where they're at the, at the, where they're at the counter, and I get on that mic that talks to the whole staff. I'm at Walmart, and I feel like God's leading me to pray with somebody, so I got to run to the front and get on one of those mics. Aisle three, aisle three, God says to you in the name of Jesus. You know, it's, it's not. It's not like that. <laughs> For instance, he says, he talks in 1 Corinthians 12 about a word of knowledge. Word of knowledge is, is not complicated. Jesus actually, John chapter 4, teaches us about what a word of knowledge is. Jesus is talking to a woman who comes to a well to get water. And she kind of asks him, what are you doing here? And he's like, hey, I'm just here hanging out, been waiting for you. And she's like, why would you talk to me? And he's like, man, if you knew who I was... You would have asked me for a drink of water, and I would have given you water that would make you full for the rest of your life. You'll never be thirsty again. She says, so give me this water. I'll take this water. And then Jesus says to her, hey, uh, go call your husband and come back. And she's like, I don't have a husband. He's like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I love the NIV, it goes, the fact is, you had five husbands, and the man you are now with is not your husband. <laughs> oh, man. And she's like, sir, I can see that you are a prophet. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? It's just a word of knowledge. What's a word of knowledge all about? A word of no We're going to talk about it a little more in the future, but a word of knowledge is just insight to a particular situation that lets God tell people that he knows who they are and where they are. It's, it's the ability for God to just let somebody know, hey, I see you. It wasn't judgmental. He just wanted her to know, hey, I see you. I see everything about you, and I'm still talking to you. <laughs> so prophecy is not weird. It's not spooky. It doesn't have to come out a certain way. It doesn't have to be delivered in the King James Version. But prophecy... Paul says, is the gift that he would desire that you all have. Remember in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, listen, I, I, I want you to earnestly desire the gifts, especially prophecy. And I've thought about that so much in my life. Like, why prophecy? Why is prophet, why does, why does Paul 
make prophecy this gift that he says, man, if you could do anything for God, if you could get anything from God, this is the thing you would want God to use you to do. And I think, I think one of the reasons we've misunderstood prophecy is because we think prophecy is only predictive in nature. But prophecy seeks to do more than just predict the future. Prophecy, the desire of God when it comes to prophecy is to not just predict the future, but to change the present. This is important that you see this because the potential of future disaster or judgment or blessing or whatever is meant to change current behavior. To motivate people to repent, to turn back to God and live in a way that will persuade God to hold back his judgment or continue in his blessing. Prophecy is why Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh. God tells Jonah in Jonah chapter 1, he says, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you, he says this, this is what he says, I want you to preach against Nineveh. Prophets get fired up about preaching against stuff. But Jonah was like, no. That does not excite me at all. Like, this is a weird thing because this is your whole role is to predict judgment on people, to declare judgment. And he's like, no, I don't want to do it. And he runs away. And the Bible gives us insight as to why he runs away. In Jonah chapter 4, the Bible tells us that he ran away because he knew that if he told them that impending judgment was coming, they would repent and then God would relent from judging them. And, and listen to me. This is, this is the entire word that God gave Nineveh to deli- or J- Jonah to deliver to Nineveh. I just combined Jonah and Nineveh there. It's, When you only have 11 minutes left, you try to condense stuff. (laughs) So what happens, listen to this, in Jonah chapter 3 and verse 4, this is the whole message. This is the whole reason Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh. Jonah 3 and 4, God says, I want you to declare this message. What is the message? The message is 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's all he said. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. God says to you, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Bible says he literally just walked from town to town, place to place, village to village. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the Bible says that the people heard it and they believed him. And so in Jonah chapter 3, when Jonah's warning reaches the king of Nineveh, the Bible says he rises from his throne, takes off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. And he says this, he says, this is the proclamation he issued to Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. So he declared a fast. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring them into the destruction he had threatened. Why is this? Because prophecy is not just predictive. It's it, it, it's meant to change our current behavior. It's God saying, if you continue on this path, this is what's going to happen in your life. And the king didn't even be, he didn't even need Jonah to tell him to repent. Repentance wasn't Jonah's message. 
judgment was. But the king knew in his heart, maybe if we change our ways, this word of destruction that has been over our lives, God will change his mind about us and he will bless us instead. You're like, I don't know about that, Robbie. Okay, let me give you another scripture, Jeremiah 18, 5 through 10. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. God said to Jeremiah, can I not do with you, Israel, as the potter does, declares the Lord? Like clay in the hand of the potter, so you are in my hand, Israel. If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, and if that nation I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster that I had planned. In other words, we can, with our lives, change the plan This is what prophecy does. It doesn't just predict the future, it creates the future. It's less predictive and it's more creative. I, I can't wait to share some of this with you. And he says, and if the nation that I warn repents of its evil, I can, I can change my mind and not inflict that. And if at another time, I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good that I had intended to do for it as well. So prophecy is, is, one, it is a declaration of a future that will happen if you do not repent. It's also a prediction of a future that can happen if you continue to obey. Let me tell you something. Even, even the end, when Jesus comes back, it's not a set day. It's not a set day. We actually have an impact on the return of the Lord. Let me, let me give you this. This is important to understand eschatology and prophecy. Second Peter, eschatology is just the theology of, of the end. Second Peter 3, 8 through 14. But do not, do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. He's talking about the return of Jesus. And a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Because people were like, when's he coming back? I thought it was going to be soon. Well, soon to you and soon to him are not the same thing. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. As you live holy and godly lives, the more you look forward to the day, the closer we bring that day. That's what he's saying. That day will bring about the destruction of heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promises, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. In other words, the more thy kingdom come, the closer to the fulfillment of the kingdom coming. The more we act like Christ the closer the return of Christ becomes to us. God is saying, the more set apart, the holier the church gets, 
what it does is it speeds up the day. It brings it forward into a day that it was not intended to be. It's just like when the woman came to Jesus and she needed her daughter to be healed and Jesus said, it's not time yet. It's not your time yet. There's a day coming when it will be your time. She was a Gentile. Jesus is like, I came for my people. I came for the Jewish people. It's not your time yet. There will come a day when the gospel will be preached to all nations and and Peter will declare the gospel to the Gentiles and, and they will preach and the gospel will get out to all nations. But this is not your day. And she said, but... Even dogs get crumbs from the table. And Jesus said, this is, and she pulled into her present a future reality. And I'm just telling you that it is our faith that draws near the coming of the Lord. This is not a day for you to doubt God or to question God or to deconstruct God. This is a day for you to go all in on God because when you go all in on God, God, ah, he, he, he stands up in heaven and he begins to look and the trumpets start to get ready and he gets his horse prepared and I'm telling you, he will come quicker. I'm just, I'm just telling you, you can speed it along by how you live. God's voice is the most powerful force in the universe. The Bible has a lot to say about the power of words. Proverbs 18 and 21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Hebrews 11 and 3 says, Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Nine times the words, And God said, appear in Genesis chapter 1. Prophecy is basically God said. So to understand prophecy, you have to go to the beginning where God first said. It's the law of first mention. Wherever you see God do something first, it's a pattern for how God will continue to do things throughout history. So in the beginning, God says, and what happens when God says, when God speaks at the beginning... When God said appears in Genesis, each time he spoke, something was created, formed, or made. Worlds came into being. They were coordinated together. And they now exist. Hebrews 1 and 3 continues to tell us, it says, and he upholds all things by the word of his power. The Amplified Bible says that, that he upholds, he maintains, he guides, and he propels the universe by the mighty word of his power. Luke one thirty seven. And the ASV says, for no word from God shall be void of power. So God's word is full of power, creative energy, and life. When God created the universe, he used the word like a carpenter uses a hammer. God builds with his word. Isaiah 55 and 11 says, so will the words that come out of my mouth be. They will not come back empty-handed. They'll do the work that I sent them to do. They'll complete the assignment that I gave them. Psalm 33, 6 through 9 says, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the hosts of heaven by them the breath of his mouth. For he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. Psalm 119, 89 through 91 says, Thou hast established the earth, and it abideth. They continue this day according to thine ordinance, for they are all your servant. The creative power of God's word. So when I prophesy... No wonder Paul said that prophecy is for exhortation, comfort, encouragement. 
Because even when prophecy is corrective, the, the purpose of it is to, to fix current behavior to solve a future problem. Prophecy is not really intended to be predictive in the sense that this is set. It's a way for God to say, this is what will happen if you don't change. That's why it's, that's why it's comforting. Because it's God giving you space to make adjustments. Oh, man. That's why it's so creative in its nature. Because it doesn't just declare a thing. It gives us something to attach our faith to. I remember a pastor one time was telling me, he said, he's not, he doesn't use the prophetic gift a lot. And so when he told me the story, I was actually, I was shocked that he even said it because this is not in his human nature to do this. But he said, there was a time when I was praying for a couple and God spoke to me and said to tell them they were going to have a child. He's like, I've never delivered a message like that before. It scared me to death, but I knew it was from God because I never had God talk to me like that before. So he looked at him in the face. He said, God wanted me to tell you that he's going to give you a child. That's all he said. They kind of look at each other. They start to cry. They go home and they come back later and they tell him just a few months later, we're pregnant. A few months later, they send a picture of the ultrasound. A few months later, they come back with the baby and he dedicates the baby. And they tell him, you might not have known this, but um, we hadn't been able to have children for years. And because of the disappointment of not being able to have children, we stopped having sex. I need you to hear this. So when he gave them that word, it was encouragement to put the work in again. So they started to do the thing that creates. She said, we were headed for divorce. It, it was such a burden to our, our marriage that we weren't able to have children together. Our marriage would have ended. And when you gave us that word, you gave us a reason to be intimate again. And they didn't get a baby because God supernaturally. Come on. They didn't get a baby because God supernaturally put a baby in the womb. They got a baby because they started doing the things that make babies again because of a word. See, what a prophecy is, it's not just God going to supernaturally do something from, you know, some. What happens very often is a prophecy is something for us to put our faith in so that we continue to do the things or even begin again to do the things that lead to that result. That's why prophecy is creative in its nature. When God speaks, things are created. That's why when you, that's why, that's why Proverbs says about the tongues, life and death are in the power of the tongue. And if you can destroy someone with words, then you can create with words. You can create, you can create the behavior that you're looking for with the words that you speak in your children. Because we all act in a way that is consistent with how we see ourselves. And if your children think you think they're stupid, then they're going to act stupid. 
But if you, if you lay him down in bed at night, like I do Oliver, and I look at Oliver and I tell him, hey, man, there is a call of God on your life. There's something unique and special about you. I don't know exactly what you're going to be, but it's going to be amazing. God is calling you to, to, to do incredible things for him. He wants to use you with his, by his power. He wants to use you with his glory. He wants people to, to turn to Jesus because of your life. Then that encouraged He looked at me last night. He goes, you really think so? I said, yeah. He said, well, tomorrow morning I'm going to get up and I'm going to pray first thing. What you do when you speak prophetic over people is you encourage the behavior that will lead to the outcome that you speak over their life. So that's, so this is why Paul says, I want you to all prophesy because it builds up the church. And he was frustrated with the Corinthians. He said, you keep wanting to speak in tongues, but here's your issue. You, you seek the gifts that only build you up. I want you to prophesy because prophecy builds up the church. I need you to tell somebody they're going to make it. It doesn't have to be, you know, on this date and such and such in the year 2000. You could just look at somebody and say, by the word of God, you are the head and not the tail. You are above and not beneath. And watch as people start to rise to the level of a prophetic word that you speak over their lives. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you today. Thank you for your word. Creative power of your word. Thank you that prophecy is not simply predictive, but it's creative in nature. So help us to declare and speak prophetically over people what you would say so that we build up the body in Jesus' name. And help us over these next few weeks to discover the, where, the areas where you've gifted us to help us to develop those gifts and use those gifts. Help us to not just be a church that's got great revelation, but no transformation. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. Amen. I'm going to let you go first service. Got two more.